to organize your amazing ideas into a powerful book? It's time to write your book. Welcome to the Write Hour, nonfiction tips from the right coach with Joyce Glass, where you can learn the business and craft of writing. Welcome to episode 603 of the Write Hour. The writing journey can be a tough road, but today Bob Hotstetler shares encouragement for you when you face your rejection as a writer and how to persevere in the waiting. Bob is an award-winning writer, editor, speaker, and literary agent from Southwestern Ohio. His 50 books, which include The Bone Box and American Idols, The Worship of the American Dream, have sold millions of copies. He has co-authored 11 books with Josh McDowell, including the best-selling Right from Wrong, What You Need to Know to Help Youth Make Right Choices and the award-winning Don't Check Your Brains at the Door. He has won two gold medallion awards, four Ohio Associated Press Awards, and an Amy Foundation Award, among others. Bob is a frequent speaker at churches, conferences, and retreats. He has been a disc jockey, pastor, magazine editor, freelance book editor, and with his wife, Robin, they have fostered ten boys, though not all at the same time. Bob and Robin have two adult children, Aubrey and Aaron, and a son-in-law, Kevin, and a daughter-in-law, Nina, along with many grandchildren. You can learn more about Bob in the show notes. If your writing career has challenged you lately, this podcast will inspire you to keep going. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 603 of The Right Hour, and I'm excited to have with us Mr. Bob Hot Stutler, is that correct on the yep. last name? Yes. Yep. Good. Bob, it's so good to have you here. Thank you. It's a joy, Joyce. Thank you. Well, let's jump in because Bob has some exciting adventures. I know that he probably is going to share with us. He's he's had an exciting life, and I'm excited to hear a little bit more about it. And So tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a writer and as well as an agent. Yeah, well, it's uh, uh, it's not something I necessarily planned. Uh, people ask me all the time, "How did you become a writer?" And my kind of my stock response is, "I that's how I was raised. I was raised in a family of readers and writers, and so it just kind of was a way of life growing up." When I was oh eleven or twelve years old, a couple of friends from church moved away. Uh, from town and moved out of town, and um, I uh, would write weekly letters. Car- this was back in the days of typewriters and carbon copies, right? And so mm-hmm. I'd write them a letter, but instead of saying, uh, you know, just "Hello, how are you? I am fine," kind of a thing, I would just fictionalize it. So one week, for a few weeks running, it would be the I'd tell about the events of my week in. Uh, the format of The Adventures of Spaceman Bob or The Adventures of Cowboy Bob or Dr. Bob or whatever. And so I'd, I'd run that like an old-fashioned serial for three or four weeks, and then I'd shift to something else. And that's just kind of the way I lived my life, you know, writing and and uh, telling stories and that sort of thing. So uh, in my teens, I just started writing for publication and never stopped. Uh, at the age of 19, I 
uh, I think is the first time. Uh, it's certainly the earliest copy I have of my uh, annual goals. I started at that point or sometime prior to that, instead of making resolutions, I would I would uh, compile one year, three year, five year lifetime goals every January. And at 19 is when I first set a lifetime goal to write a book. Awesome. I thought that was as brave as I could be at 19. I thought, how many people really in their lifetime actually write a book? Mm-hmm. So I thought that would be cool if I did that. Five or six years later, I I revised uh, that goal, moved it up into the five-year category, and added a lifetime goal to publish a book, one book. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I missed it by one year. I think I was uh, 31 or two when my first book was released, but I, I came close. And so yeah. so it's just always been a uh, something that I do. My brothers are both uh, writers and, and have published in various forms. Uh, so... Uh, it's just, it's how I, how I live my life. Yeah. It sounds like it might be genetic. You've got some good a little bit. genes in there. So did, did your parents or grandparents tell stories a lot? Is oh that- yeah. 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 And you know, I come from, I come from, uh, on my father's side from an Amish background. So, so there's always, uh, my grandfather was instrumental in compiling a family history book, uh, you know, several generations ago, uh, my father wrote uh, stories of family history and so on down. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it is kind of in the genes. But you know, when you when you raise children as readers, you shouldn't be surprised if they become writers as well. That kind of right. it's not it's not the same thing, but they are related. Yeah, I, I agree. We grew up reading and writing a lot too because we had grandparents that lived twelve hours away. So we were always writing to them our little letters. Um, mine were probably not as interesting as yours, <laughs> but we did have, that was something that my parents ingrained in us, you know, correspondence, communication. And of course, you know, we could talk on the phone, but you know, back then you couldn't talk too long because long distance was expensive. <laughs> right. You had to pay extra back then. Exactly. So you had to be careful how long you talked uh, on long distance. So I get that. Well, I met Bob at Blue Ridge a couple years ago, but this past year I talked with him and he did a talk about persevering writers. And so I, we're going to talk about that today. And one of the questions or two of the questions that you talk about that you get a lot are, I think I could write a book or how can I write, how can I get my book published? And you had some great advice for them. And if you could share that and then the, um, do you have the quote in front of you that you shared or do you remember the quote? Uh, if you're talking about the Richard Bach, yes. yeah, he, uh, he, I, I use that quote often. He, um, said something like, uh, a, a professional writer is an amateur who didn't give up. Yep. Yep. And so, uh, and that's that's been uh, my experience as well, and I see it played over and over again. You know, is that that I tell whether whether I'm coaching someone who's a client or who's not a client. That, that very often the the advice I give them is is pretty much the same, and that is you know publishing, writing for publication, at least for traditional publications, mm-hmm. uh, working with traditional publishers, commercial the the world of commercial publishing 
that it's a long game. I, I borrow Nietzsche's phrase, which uh, Eugene Peterson used uh, in one of his books, um, in the title of one of his books. And I say, uh, I used uh, often the Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche quote that Eugene Peterson used in one of his book titles. And uh, I'll say that writing for publication traditional publication is a long obedience in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll revise it. Uh, I, I feel at liberty to, you know, revise both Nietzsche and Peterson. Uh, not that I'm anywhere near either of them in, in any way, but uh, um, I'll say to my clients and, and folks I coach and teach, it's a long obedience in an uphill direction. Mm-hmm. not just the same direction, but it's uphill. It takes a long time. And so one of the best um, traits that a writer who is, uh, who is becoming a professional writer, who is writing for publication, whether in articles or, or devotions or books, what have you, blog posts, et cetera, is, is just keep moving. You know, it's it, too too often I meet at writers conferences folks who've labored for ten years on the same project, and sometimes that produces amazing quality because the the writing task is never done. Right. Uh, one of my earliest editors said, "You can never finish a piece of writing; you must abandon it." <laughs> uh, and I think that's true. There comes a point you have to just say, "Well, okay, I'm moving on." But uh, it, it breaks my heart sometimes to see folks who've labored on this one thing for 10 years and they, they haven't started the next thing. They haven't even imagined that there would be a next thing. But very often, most often, in fact, uh, a writer's first success, especially when it comes to book, isn't their first manuscript sometimes isn't their second manuscript. It's their third or their fourth. You know, right. it takes. It's a long, long game. And so uh, I think one of the greatest skills we can cultivate as writers is just to keep moving. Finish a project, move on to the next project. If, if the first one sells, cool. But if it doesn't, we're already busy on the next project. So right. it, it helps to, to tamp down that panic and that, that the hurt feelings that come from rejections, you know, over and over again. I've been rejected hundreds and hundreds of times. Uh, mm-hmm. but rejection is easier to handle if I'm already working on the next thing. Exactly. And that helps if you keep that focus and know, don't put all your eggs in that one project, you know, of that one basket, keep going. Because the other thing that I've noticed, you know, writing myself and helping writers is that the more you write, the better you write too. And the better your ideas become developed and are more interesting. So when you take that time, you know, you could always chalk it up. Okay. I'm learning. And maybe that one didn't do well, or they didn't, you know, the publishers just didn't want it because it's just not what they need right now. Not necessarily that it's not good. You know, there's all kinds of reasons why you get rejections. So I I like that. Well, and you, you said you've faced many rejections, but I loved um, talk about a couple of the famous writers that we all know of that also faced rejection and dealt with that. If you could tell us a few of those. Yeah. Well, one of my, one of my favorites is the story of, um, I think it was uh, uh, Barry, um, 
I forget off the top of my head his first name, but the guy that wrote um, Peter Pan. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, he was uh, apparently on his way to, uh, he had just received a rejection and uh, was on his way to burn a manuscript, his, his Peter Pan manuscript, and uh, met a friend who worked at a publishing house and told him he just just suffered this this devastating rejection and so the friend said uh well let me see it and that became peter pan but uh just a few minutes miss you know maybe even seconds later if the two had missed each other peter pan would never have have come to to exist or to be published so it would have been lost to us and so yeah over and over again those my one of the first novel i ever completed the first novel I ever completed was, uh, uh, it was eventually published, but it was accepted for publication on its 108th submission. Now, this was back in the days I didn't have an agent, and uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. So I'm sure, you know, roughly 100 of those submissions were to the wrong, to somebody who didn't publish, you know, all that sort of stuff. Right. So it, but I was still learning, and I'm still learning today, but it was accepted on its 108th submission by an editor who had rejected it the previous year. But this is one of those few times I've been smart in this business. Uh, (laughs) He had written a nice little note on his rejection that said, uh, I just, I really like this, but I didn't have room for it on our list this year. And he didn't say anything more, didn't invite resubmission, but I kept that. And I used this thing called a bring up file. Some people call it a tickler file. And so I just put that in my bring up file for 11 months later mm-hmm. and sent it back to him and said, you said you really liked this, but you didn't have room for it. Do you have room for it now? And so it was accepted and it was published. So, so yes, every author that I know, even those who've published far more than I have my, I think my 51st book came out earlier this year, but you know, Friends of mine who published 100 books, 150, 180 books, they've been rejected far more than they've been accepted, you know. And so it's, it comes with the territory. It's a part of the process. And very often, for, for many of us, it's a part of the early process because, as it was in my case, we're learning how these things work. We're submitting to the wrong people, but we're learning. You know? Right. And so... Rejection is just part of the process. It's how the game is played. How you, yeah, definitely. And what you said something about Herman Melville and Moby Dick. I can't remember what. Do you remember what you said about Herman Melville, and Moby Dick? What happened there? He, he received a rejection uh, when in in his early submissions of Moby Dick. One of the rejected editors who rejected it responded with the with the criticism, does it have to be a whale? <laughs> I don't know what else it would have been if it hadn't been a whale. Well, there but you go. It, it always cracks me up because editors have their own ideas, you know? And so and, that's, that's yes. so typical. And to, to be think about that now, the people who, people who's listening here, that's like one of the most well-known books that you ha- in, have to read through high school. And, People, you can say Moby Dick, and most people everywhere will know what you're talking about, but that was a book that was rejected because 
one editor didn't like that it was a whale. <laughs> you know? yeah. so, Maybe it should have been a cute little lobster. I don't know what he was thinking <laughs> or she was thinking, but yeah. Exactly. And so I, I take that as comfort, you know, and like I li- read Stephen King's on writing. I don't like his books, but his on writing book, I liked because he's real and he's honest about the same kind of thing. You know, he wrote and wrote and wrote and he would stack up his um, rejection letters. I know when he was first writing and he was still living at home with his mother, he had a nail in his room that was sticking out from somewhere and he'd stick those rejection letters on that nail. And, you know, that's a sign of actually you're making progress, even though you may not feel like you're making progress. You're making progress because that's one more no leads you to that yes eventually. And whether it's that book or another book, hopefully you'll you'll get that. Well, tell us a little bit, what does success really look like in writing? Because I think well, you probably found out a lot of people have a big misconception. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I'm I'm working on a you know I keynote often at writers conferences, right. and one of the new keynotes that I'm developing is uh, the successful writer, because I think it is important to to define. You know, we have very often we borrow our concepts of success as writers. You know, Stephen King, he's published a bajillion books and made millions of dollars. That's success. So we borrow these concepts of success from other writers and always, of course, more accomplished or successful writers than we consider ourselves to be. But have we stopped to think about really, is that the definition of success that I want to pursue, right? Mm -hmm. Is it a biblical? Is it a Christian like Christ? Is it a Christian concept of success? And I think most of the time it's not because it relates to money or awards or those sorts of things. Uh, I think one of the things, and this is something I already referred to that I urge on my clients uh, as an agent, is the ability to keep moving, keep writing. I think a, a right. successful writer is someone who writes. Right. It's, it, you may not have published yet. You may have published you know, once or twice, it doesn't matter if you're writing, that is a success. You know, one page a day gets you a book in a year. Mm-hmm. So a successful writer is one who's writing. That's, that's the definition of writer is someone who is writing. Um, but, but there's, and, and sure there's, uh, there's the standard of publication because we're, we want to learn, we want to be read, but the, now, another is, um, are we learning? You know, I was at a writer's conference just last week and sat down with one of my uh, very capable, very accomplished clients, a novelist, and uh, she asked me a question. And I said, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Let's figure that out. And so just a day or two ago, I, I sent her a, an email and said, hey, here's Here's what I think is a, a good answer to that question. Neither one of us knew the answer, but I, I didn't know the answer. I'm still learning. You know, it's delightful. One right. of the reasons I go to Christian Writers Conferences is not only to find new talent as an agent and not only to speak and teach, but it's it's to learn myself. I pick up something every time I go, you know. So 
so are you learning? That's one measure of success that's helpful for the Christian writer. And then the, the last thing I would say is, uh, I just briefly alluded to it before, but uh, in contrast to comparing ourselves to people who've, who've published uh, works of literature or made lots of money in the writing pursuit, I think my, one of my measure success uh, of success is, am I being read? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not so much, and it's changed over the years because when I first started writing for publication, the measure of success was credits. It's, did you publish in this magazine or that magazine, or did you, do you have a book? But nowadays with so many ways to reach readers Right. Um, and to influence people, I I think a better measure of success is, am I being read? Whether it's my blog or my Twitter feed or my articles or my books, am I being read? Mm-hmm. And, and that can be achieved any number of ways with an email subscription list, with a, um, with a book, sure, with a, a a devotion in somebody else's book or what have you. There are many ways to be read, but I think that's, that's another good measure of success for the Christian writer is, is anybody reading what I have to say? Right. Right. Definitely. And that's important. I love that. And I think if you, like you said, you've got to define what success is for you and make milestones, you know, success for me this year may be attending a conference and starting my book. And next year is publishing my book, you know, so there could be different little milestones along with that. Uh, so tell us, because this is something we've been talking about, but um, get to it a little bit um, deeper. How can writers persevere, persevere, easy for me to say, in the waiting for publication? Because um, like all of us in our instantaneous microwave society, um, we all know traditional publishing does not operate that way, as you were talking about earlier. <laughs> so you've got to wait, find the agent. Then find agent, you've got to wait for them to take it to the different publishers. Then you got to wait for the publishers to come back. Then once they do come back, you've got to wait for the contract and wait for this and wait for that. And so what is the what is some advice for people who struggle with that? Yeah, two things I would say. One is, uh, as I mentioned already, is uh, in the waiting, always be writing. Definitely. Whatever yes. it may be, right? So so waiting is easier, just like rejection is easier, if you're writing anyway. You're going to write, right? But a lot of us, uh, we get impatient and we think, you know, all I need is an agent. All I need is that contract. And then I'll write this thing. Well, why you got to wait for that? Be writing that thing anyway. Mm-hmm. Be writing it already. Uh, but then the other thing I think that helps in the waiting game, and it is, I mean, if you sign a book contract today, that's not going to be on the shelves for another 18 months minimum, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in most cases. And so uh, whether it's waiting for uh, an agent to read your thing, whether it's waiting for uh, an editor, magazine editor to accept your thing or a book, uh, publisher to to offer you a thing. It, it's it, regardless of all that waiting. If you're writing, but then also I think very often I encounter the attitude among those. We get so impatient, you know. It's it's like we want we want it now, 
We expect it now. We're praying for it now. And so God needs to answer our prayers now. <laughs> but his ways are not our ways. His timeline is not our timeline. So what are we going to do in the meantime? And uh, often I'll read a book proposal from an aspiring writer that says, you know, when my book is released, here's what I'm going to do. And there's some good ideas in that, right? Some awesome marketing ideas. And really, all of those things can be done before your book is accepted right. for publication. Well, with one exception, you can't really do a book signing till you've got a book. But right. everything else, from building social media, from uh, from you know getting a cool website, from uh, having an email subscription list that people can sign up for, from speaking engagements to reading in libraries and and schools and all that sort of thing can be Getting done. Getting excitement going, yeah, because yeah, yeah. The the podcast before this, Blake Daniels talks about a book launch team, and that's something that takes time to assemble and to plan out and to get all the things ready. That that is something you can be doing in the waiting. You may have to change some of it up once you get with the publisher, but if you've got a plan in place, it's going to be a whole lot easier to implement. Than if you sit around and wait till everything happens all at one time, and then you're a crazy woman or man <laughs> trying to do it all. So right, and you know, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, in recent years, uh, one of the things that has re- that I've noticed is, you know, my book launch teams, my street teams, as we sometimes call them, are typically, at least, a large percentage of them. Uh, are formed out of my prayer team. You know, when I'm when I'm uh, conceptualizing a project, when I'm thinking of a new book, when I'm struggling with a writing idea, I I have a prayer team, and some people come off it, some people come on it, depending on the project. But I I have a prayer team. Well, you don't have to have a book to assemble a prayer team. Mm-hmm. And then if you've got people praying for your writing, then when you're ready to assemble a launch team for your book that's coming out next year, then obviously you want your best prayer warriors on your launch team, right? So uh, you don't have to wait even for a launch team. Just at, until it's a launch team, it's a prayer team. Right, right. And that's great. That's a great idea. And something that um, after I finished my first book, it was a devotional, I came under attack and it's something that I realized with Beth Moore talked about that you need to have prayer warriors. If you're a Christian and writing a Christian book before, during and after the process, because that is when the enemy is going to be coming after you. And I, you know, I, I love that a prayer team turns into your launch team. So I think that's an excellent idea. And, and they're invested because they've, they've been praying for you and they know about the project. Right. And then they, they also, you know, there's, there's a significant overlap, at least for me, uh, in my prayer team, my critique team, and my launch team. Mm-hmm. You know, not everyone, but a whole lot of those people are on all the teams because mm-hmm. they, there's a lot of overlap between those three things because those are the people who supported me in prayer that have also critiqued a cover or a chapter uh, or a scene. And it, it's only natural then that they would be the ones to join the launch team and help me get the word out. So all, they all work together. 
Definitely. I love that. I love that is a great way to, you know, like I said, then they're invested too because they've been a part of the project and it's fun to be a part of something like that for those that love to read and be involved in those. Some of those are writers as, as well themselves. So that's always fun. Well, the yeah. next thing that I love to ask is tell us a little bit about your writing time. Do you have a consistent time you write? Do you write daily or just really when you're working on a project or what have you, what works for you or what some, some things that maybe have not worked for you that you tried that you're like, mm, no. Yeah. Well, you know, I tend, I should offer a disclaimer to begin with because I uh, am a little bit OCD, obsessive compulsive <laughs> disorder. I like things organized just so. And so uh, scheduling is, is something that I do just as a matter of course uh, but it's it's changed. It's um, um, by the way, I have a theory about OCD. I think just like cholesterol, there's a good kind and a bad kind. Mm-hmm. I have the good kind. <laughs> My wife has the bad kind. So, um, but um, you're not flipping light switches on and off a hundred times before you walk out of the no, room. No, <laughs> no. I have other afflictions on the side of that, but uh, and many of them relate to schedules and deadlines but uh but it's it's shifted it's changed according to the period when i was that that book that was accepted on its 108 submission i had never written a novel before and didn't know if i could and so i and at that time i was in a an office job working nine to five basically and our kids were small so i made myself a promise that um i would uh, every evening after the kids were in bed, I'd take a couple hours and write mm-hmm. before my own bedtime. And I sketched out a schedule where I would write a chapter a week for 14 weeks. That's how I had outlined the book. Mm-hmm. And at, the plan was at the end of those weeks to have my first draft. Well, I made myself a promise that if that week's chapter wasn't done by Saturday bedtime, Saturday night, I wouldn't go to bed until it was done. Now, I don't think I pulled any all-nighters, but I did pull a few Mm half-nighters. And for the first time in my adult life, I wasn't a pastor preaching every Sunday, so I figured I could sleep during the sermon if I needed to. (laughs) Um, But but that's the kind of schedule that I worked through those years. In uh, in later years, you know, as a church planter and a pastor, I would would take my uh, day off and because the rest of the week was consumed with, with church stuff, with being a pastor, Mm -hmm. uh, I would take my day off and I'd spend six hours on my day off in front of a computer writing. Mm -hmm. Um, that was that season of life for me. But then for much of the last 20 or 30 years, uh, kind of sandwiched around that church planting pastoring experience, I've just been a, you know, I get up in the morning and I go to work most for my routines. Most mornings are, and of course, as an agent now, I kind of have to split the tasks, but mornings are busy work because I like to ease into my day. So I do after my prayer time, my breakfast and so on, I get onto the computer, I answer emails, I do busy work like outlining or, and I do the editing that I do of previous uh, day's work I do in the mornings. And then my goal is by the time I sit back down after lunch that I'm writing because my, the way my, uh, psyche works, 
my most productive hours tend to be three to six in mm-hmm. the afternoon. If I'm if I'm writing well by three, I can go without a stop until six or sometimes later than that. But I know those are my most productive hours, so I try to save afternoons and even into the dinner hour, the early evening for writing because I just know that that works for me. So uh, so it differs from one phase, one season to another. But these days, I'm I'm an afternoon and early evening writer. Yes, and that seems to be what I'm most you know ready to because. I'm slow going in the mornings as far as foggy brain and kind of waking up and all that good thing. And then by afternoon, I'm like, all right, let's party. (laughs) We can get get going. Well, that that's good. I appreciate you sharing that with us. And it does make a difference what phase of life you're in that you need to adjust your writing schedule around that. The whole point that I share often is just be intentional about your time, you know, if you know you work full time and you have little kids, what are those little pockets of time that you can write and find them and be intentional and don't sit and binge on Netflix when you really could have some time to write, which right. I, love, I love binging on Netflix, but Hey, sometimes you got to make priorities. So, I think you meant to say you love reading Bob Hostetler's book. That was it. That was it. That was, Oh, I mean, I forgot to tell you. I do have, yeah. I have a, um, I have a Bob moment. So I was at church and we're doing, um, praying for the next generation. The battle for the next generation is the ser- sermon series. And they handed out a prayer card and a 21 days of prayer thing. And I look at the prayer card and it says written by Bob Hotseller. I'm like, I know him. <laughs> like, yeah, that's me. Like, it's not often you pick up something at church and you know who the author is. <laughs> right. I was like, right. going to interview him soon. Cool. And so I had my Bob moment. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's There's your success, Bob. There's your success for the day. There's, yeah. Somebody read me even in church. So. There you go. Well, a lot of people in my church are reading it. It's a pretty big church. So <laughs> they're, they're doing good because they're, it is, it's a great sermon series praying for the next generation. I love it. So, Back to this, what words of advice and encouragement would you have for new writers or those that are maybe struggling to write their book? Because a lot of the people that I deal with are first-time authors or they've written something, but they haven't finished it because they get overwhelmed. So what advice would you have for those writers? Yeah, I get that a lot because people, when they find out I'm a a writer or they find out I'm an agent, uh, that's often the first uh, question they have. You know, I've I've got a book. I've got an idea. I want to write this. And so I'll always, always respond with, have you been to a writer's conference? Mm -hmm. That's, That's at the top of the list because there's just so much to know, you know, it. The craft of writing, yes, but it's also there's it's like, you know, you wouldn't try to assemble a a rocket ship in your home without some kind of inside information. You need to study a little bit about rocket propulsion and whatever else goes into that. But um, (laughs) it's similar with writing for publication is in it. A lot of people can write pretty well, but there's so much more that goes into writing for publication. And so 
first advice I always give is get to a writer's conference. Second piece of advice I give is you want to go to your first writer's conference to learn as much as you can because your mind will just, you'll be overwhelmed. You'll be dizzy with all their, all that you've learned at you, whether it's a, a one day conference or a five day conference. Uh, in any case, you'll just, your brain will be on overload, mm-hmm. uh, from all the stuff that you've learned, the people that you've met, the relationships that you've started. So your first Christian writers conference is, is an opportunity to learn, but after that, your second and third and fourth, because a lot of people don't realize you don't just go to one writer's conference and then you're done. You dust your hands off. <laughs> it's not like that? going to college for four years. No, <laughs> it's yeah. not. It's not. So uh, it needs to be a way of life, whether it's one a year or two a year or whatever it might be. It, your first writer's conference is not going to be your last writer's conference if you plan to write for publication. So after the learning experience, the overwhelming uh, learning experience for the first conference, then subsequent conferences become an opportunity to sell what you write or are writing. And mm-hmm. so that may be devotions, it may be articles, it may be books, uh, but um, that's where you meet with editors and, and uh, agents uh, to have them look and give you feedback and um, help you to uh, make those steps into publication. To try to do it, to try to write for publication in a vacuum like Jack London did, and as he wrote about in that wonderful novel, Martin Eden, um, which is largely autobiographical, uh, is is just, that's just not a smart thing to do anymore. You can't do it in a vacuum. Right. Um, because for, for one thing, you, unlike in Jack London's day, or even in Steve King's, Stephen King's day, you can't just put your manuscript into an envelope and send it off to a New York editor and hope for success. They, they'll just send it right back in most cases. Right. Um, so writers' conferences, the networking, the learning, and the opportunity for pitching your work to editors and agents is indispensable these days. I totally agree. And that's something that I've talked about numerous times too. The connections that I've made have been fabulous. I mean, I get to meet people like Bob and um, I don't know if you know Karen Porter. I met her um, the other week and um, she's really good. And just some, uh, you know, just so many people. And I'm now working with Michelle and Bethany some on some projects and the things about working with each other too, is it also helps hone your skills. Even you like I'm learning some things from Bethany and Michelle because they're further along than I am on some things. And so, and they do things differently than I do. And so it's always good to see what other people do and what works for them. And sometimes that'll work for you. But the other thing about the writers conferences is things change in the publishing industry. And if you don't, Go to these, you're not going to know what the changes are. And you may be using old information and trying to get a publication and you don't know why it's not working. And you didn't hear, okay, well, this year they don't want memoirs because they're, they're done. You know, memoirs are out, whatever it may be, you know? And so I wholeheartedly agree. I love that and love the, the connections that I have made there and learning so much. And like you said, if you want to be professional, then you need to treat this like a profession and invest in yourself and invest in learning 
so that you can be as professional as possible. And that's what's going to get you published is knowing, right. knowing what it, you know and having the skills to write and the connections. And, yeah, those connections are – and you don't know uh, how, uh, how absolutely helpful those are going to be. Five or seven years ago, Bethany and Michelle didn't know each other. But I, I got to give you a, a word of warning. That Michelle Medlock Adams person, she, she accuses people of stealing chocolate, and it's just not true. I want to <laughs> establish that. It's just not true. She has this thing. I don't know. Uh, I but, uh, wonder about that. Though. I bet you could be true. I bet you I know who does it. Yeah. I know. I've also yeah. heard that there's this person who goes around and puts selfies on it on everybody's phones too. See, it's it's all rumor and innuendo. Is what that <laughs> it's is. All rumor and innuendo. Uh, okay. Yeah, but but really, uh, you know, uh, twenty five years ago, I didn't know Steve Lobby. You know, mm-hmm. he became a friend because we were often at the same writers conferences, and then he became my agent, and then uh, that would have been fifteen years ago, and then two years, well, about three three years ago, he started twisting my arm to consider becoming a new agent with the luck. Steve Lobby Agency. And so all of that, you know, I, I never knew when Steve and I hit it off as friends that he would one day be my agent, let alone that I would one day be an agent in his agency. But these things, these doors open to you right. as a result of the friendships. You know, the, the I say this often at writers' conferences, the cynic says it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I say that's true in as much as publishing and particularly Christian publishing, like the rest of life is all about relationships, mm-hmm. right? So it is about who you know, and those relationships are one of the things that open doors to you in the future. And you can't predict, you can't plan. It's just going to happen as you get to these conferences and get to know people. Exactly. Exactly. So definitely. I love that. Well, I appreciate it. And Bob, it's been wonderful having you here. You have given us some great encouragement on persevering in the writing journey. And that's why I always invite people to um, write my book group on Facebook. I do um, encouraging there for anybody who needs it and it's a place for them to share with each other. And so that is a, a one, another avenue that people can have connection with writers because that's the, the be- that's what makes it more fun too. I mean, you, you if you're an introvert, you know, sitting at home on your computer all day probably makes you happy. For extroverts like me, I got to have a little interaction <laughs> at some point in the day. So it's always fun. So I appreciate you being here and thank you for your help with us today. Thank you, Joyce. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Great. Well, have a good one. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Right Hour. Are you wondering how to start your writing journey but feel overwhelmed or confused? After taking four years to write her first book, Joyce completely understands. She created the four steps to the right book to help you clarify your focus, create and organize your content, and complete your book. She shares tips on the writing process, and you can download The Writing Planner, to track your progress and create weekly and monthly milestones to complete your book. You can sign up for the short email series at therightcoach.biz. That's T-H-E, 
W-R-I-T-E-C-O-A-C-H dot B-I-Z. Or go to the link in the show notes for the podcasts. You can sign up on the site pop out on the computer or on the phone. It's a blue bar at the bottom that pops up. You can also go to the bottom of the homepage to sign up for the four steps to the right book. Don't let fear and overwhelm stop you from writing your book. It's time to write your book.